0: Welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast with Matthew Robinson's gaming group. I am your host, Tom Donnelly. Maddie is acquiring a new colonist to populate his hacienda, <laughs> leaving the rest of us to harvest tobacco on our own. This is round four, turn three, and this week, you're in for a treat because we have the professor Elder is with us. Hey, Elder, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Good and- to be back. And Elder, we, for the second week in a row we're going to be reviewing a game that is on our 8x8 challenge. Which one are we doing? It worked out this week, Concordia. Concordia, which means <clears> not <throat> only did we I, I don't want to I want to spoil anything, but we played a game on the 8x8 challenge. Do you understand how rare a thing that is right now? I I understand. I understand it <laughs> was pretty awesome. Uh and of course this uh this turns theme is old school. So Elder and I are gonna kick it into memory lane a little bit, and uh, we're gonna talk about some of our uh, some of our experiences with games, the experiences that were were highlights for us, maybe maybe lowlights. You never know what what might <laughs> what might come out, um, but memorable experiences that uh, in some way affected the people that we came to be. Uh, first thing up, we're gonna talk about this week's game night. Matt did not have a game night, R.I.P. Uh, Matt will not be having a game night for some time. Well, he's playing a different game. He is. He is (laughs) playing the the newborn baby game. He is. He is playing a two-player game with a uh, where the the game is the third player. And boy, oh boy, it is tough. Yeah. I mean, if you think Spirit Island is tough, this is (laughs) this is brutal. Uh, Yeah. So, uh, but what I will be doing is I will be hosting the Tuesday night game night, so that we do have our twice a week. We keep our uh, we keep our habit going, um, and then at my game night last night, uh, we played. I think the first thing we played was eighteen seventy nine. As I told Maddie, uh, mm-hmm. we would always play uh, an eighteen xx game whenever he was not around. Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, Trey <laughs> wasn't around, but everybody absolutely <laughs> loved it, and we got it done really really quick. So we had plenty of time to play uh, Concordia. Was the second game we played, knocking yep. out something I need by challenge, which is amazing. And uh, then we finished it up with just a just a wee touch of the Irish gauge, and uh, I subjected everyone to my uh, thick Irish brogue for <laughs> for nearly an hour, and uh, it did not go over well. Um, uh, yeah, so that was that was it. I th- I thought that was a really fun game night.
1: That was a fun game night. I, I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. Um, we had, uh, yeah, we we had you, me, Jesse from, from the podcast. We mm. had uh, my friend Andrew from New Jersey, who mm. is at game night about as often as Jake is, mm. despite coming from New Jersey. Uh, and we had David Gilson, yeah. um, uh, also a friend of the pod. Uh, let's just get into the game news. We have a lot of news. This is Essen month. Yeah. So being Essen month... Um, There isn't really a lot coming out right now, but in two weeks when Essen happens, boy, oh boy, everything is going to happen. So it's going to be a game explosion. It absolutely will be. Uh, so the first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about some, a few news items, and then we're going to get to part one of our Essen preview, where we just go over what are the things that are coming out in Essen that we don't know. We haven't played them, but looking at it, holy cow, these things look absolutely amazing. Uh, we have a song for the news. Let's hear it right now.
2: Good evening, Mr. Mr. North South American. All the ships and clippers at sea.
0: Let's go to press. News. First thing in game news is uh, turns out that Spirit Island is getting a digital tabletop version. All right. Uh, as we all know, Spirit Island is a cooperative settler destruction strategy game. It's sort of the <laughs> the opposite of uh, every colonial game you've ever played. It's just a, just trying to give nature's side of it, uh, as it were. And uh, this game is is going to basically be a, a digital game that we're going to be able to to play. Um, I, I think that cooperative games are great games to play digitally if the AI is up to the challenge. Mm. You know what I mean, because it, because it can take care of a lot of what can feel like yeah. fiddly, busy work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I th- I think that's the ideal format. Um, you know, I remember on a previous episode, you guys spoke to us a little bit about the the whole idea of the um, you know having a player be the the AI in the game. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, depending on the game, that can often not be so much fun because you want to be with the players against the game. And so actually having
0: a computer to be the AI is is actually really good. Um, and and even some of the other players, I wouldn't mind an AI being that. You, you yeah. know, um, there's the alpha player problem in cooperative games to mm-hmm. some degree, right? Um, we've, we've all experienced it. Yep. You and I have both been the alpha player problem in... <laughs> <laughs> in cooperative games I try never to be that by the way so. I, I, I do too I, I try never to be it too but I've seen you be it and I, and I guarantee you that at one point or another I've been it but it, you know it's like everybody has to work together and sometimes one person just happens to see the pattern and like oh guess what if you do this and you do that and then when it's my turn I do this guess yeah. what we win Right. and everyone else is like okay I'm, I'm going to go valet my car uh, you just tell me when you're done yeah uh,
1: Especially when there's newer players, or I mean, it even happened a little bit in Irish Gage that that one move when I was like, "Don't you want to go here?" <laughs> like- well, that's just meta gaming. That's that yeah. that's different. That's yeah.
0: that's totally fine. Yeah. I mean, you took advantage of my friend Andrew, but that's all right. <laughs> Those sorts of things happen. Wow. Um, so if you're into it, uh, Indiegogo is uh, doing the campaign. They're currently at almost eighteen thousand dollars. They got twenty eight days left. And uh, $18,000 is about 45% to their goal. Yeah, they'll make it. If you're, if you're into it, definitely go check it out at Indiegogo, Spirit Island Digital. Uh, all I'll say about it is uh, the review we have here on Game Brain for that is from our own Matt Robinson, who declared it, quote, not a good game, ah. unquote. You know, it's funny because I've,
1: I've seen the game. I, I'm, I like the theme. I've seen it hit the table at like, mostly at cons. Mm-hmm, yeah, And I've been like, have you never played of, it? I've never played it. Really? Uh, and I remember when it first came out and seeing it on a shelf and being like, oh, looks like maybe could be up my alley. But I never actually sat down to do it.
0: Look, it's just, uh, listen, I don't, <clears> ag- <throat> I don't agree with Matty. Um, okay. he has a thing about co-op games. Mm. He, he, is, he is anti-co-op. I kind of uh, do too. Uh, pretty much. I, and I get it. Yeah. And listen, it's in if you are anti-co-op games, uh, this isn't going to probably change your mind. Right. What it is, is it's a very well put together co-op game mm. that's got a crazy unique theme that really, really works well. Yeah. So if you at all, if you don't have a prejudice against co-op games, uh, the Spirit Island probably is the best co-op game out there, with mm. the sole exception of semi-co-op, which, which I think, is a great uh, improvement on co-op games in the sense that uh, I can't, I can't tell you what to do, and then this next person what to do, because one of us is untrustworthy. Mm. Batt- the Battlestar Galactica, uh, of course, uh, was the game that uh, began that trend. And uh, to some degree, that's what uh, Avalon and all social deduction games came uh, sprung out of that, and uh, and became that. But uh, I would say that uh, Dead of Winter is another is another game that is semi co op. There's somebody that's working against you, and each and every player has their own personal goals, and those goals will make you look like you are playing against the players when really you're just being selfish for a turn or two. So, mm. um, well, I also like you know games like uh, CO2. Right. Which is,
1: you know, I'm playing my own game. Yep. And there's a definitive win condition for for a single player to win. But if there's certain things that that all
0: the players don't kind of manage in the game,
1: nobody's going to win.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, obviously we can't play CO2 as a group if Paul is there. (laughs) Because he just, he will not accept the social contract. He will not accept the, (laughs) dude, everybody else has done something, you know, that was Mm. not in their own best interest to make sure that the CO2 doesn't get too high. And, and Paul's just like Exxon. He's like, Mm. yeah, so (laughs) I'm taking my turn. You do what you want to do. But it is, but it is one of those things. All right. Next up, uh, there is a new miniatures game. Now Mm. I am not a big miniatures guy. Hmm. I am not, uh, yeah, yeah. Plastic minis. Matter of fact, to some degree, the fancier the plastic pieces in a game, the more I suspect the gameplay.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've been fascinated by this trend, the whole, you know, CMON thing and and how Mm -hmm. they've just really crushed it and really have, um, you know, contributed to the you know, the state of Kickstarter as a oh, platform, yeah. you know, and how much money that they've raised. And there there's you know, I've often thought I actually thought about doing a white paper on this. Um, and I, I started taking a bunch of notes and doing some research and stuff. But um, you know, this this whole idea that there are players out there, there's a segment of the market that is is just into basically like the toy aspect of games. I like to play games too. Sure, but it's the collectors these collecting these little miniatures. Oh yeah, and and there's there's a whole segment that will just kickstart just based on the concept art and the minis, and I don't think they really care so much about the gameplay at all, and maybe might not even play the game or take out of the box. They just want the collector's item.
0: Yeah, which is. It's a cool business model. I mean, it's been working. If it works for you, it, I guess I guess it's great. Yeah. Um, you know, listen, uh, Aly- Alyssa Fadden, uh, who uh, you and I, I think you met with her with me mm. uh, from Gen Con, is a professional miniature painter. People will pay okay. her money and send her, and, oh, wow. and she does the most amazing work. Uh, and she's just way into it. And you know, she she posts all these little little memes about how uh, miniature painters always have like or miniature. Gamers always have seventy-five miniatures needing to be painted, and yet they're still going out to the store and right, buying, buying the new unpainted, uh, un- unpainted mini. Uh, look, it's 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 a whole lifestyle. I think that you know games like you know Eric Lang's games like Rising Sun mm-hmm. and um, Blood Bowl. Yeah. Uh, no, wait, uh, Blood Rage. Blood Rage, yeah. Blood Rage uh, are, are games that are trying to sort of uh, bridge the difference between Euro games and Ameritrash games, right? Mm-hmm. That are trying to yeah. put do a little bit of both for everybody. I, I also think, you know, the uh, Star Wars Rebellion and uh, a lot of those sorts of games really do a good job of combining all of those things too it's just none of those games ever have quite uh hit the tuning fork for me i would rather just have a plain wooden cube sometimes uh and it's not that i want the plain wooden cube it's just that the games that uh that that offer the strategic depth that i'm looking for to some degree tend to be those games but there is a miniature game that i am looking at right now that i kind of want I have never wanted a miniature game as much as I want this right now, ladies mm. and gentlemen. Scott Pilgrim Miniatures uh, versus the World is going to launch on October fifteenth on Kickstarter. Um, so Scott Pilgrim, if you do not know, was a, a comic put out by Oni Press. Uh, it was a you probably know it because there was a movie, put, movie, uh, yeah. and a, a fantastic movie at that. Mm. I, I absolutely loved how they how they did it. Yep. Fun as heck, uh, the miniatures look amazing. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I've i only seen a, a couple of them. Uh, but, you know, it'll be a big miniature box, and you will either play Scott Pilgrim or Scott Pilgrim's friends, and you will be battling evil exes. And so it's a miniature territory. Ter- you know, it's it's Warhammer in the Scott Pilgrim world. Yeah. Uh, I think it's such a fun, fun idea. I'm dying to do it. And it looks like the miniatures are pre-painted, which is a real real bonus for for casuals, yeah. as I would definitely categorize myself. Yeah, I, uh, think,
1: I think it'll do well. I think it's it's smart. I think there's a lot of IP out there. Mm-hmm. That, oh yeah, that would would do really well. Um, I've been thinking about uh, for a while now doing because people are still really fascinated. There's a there's a cult classic, uh, The Last Dragon. Oh yeah, yeah. Show enough, you know minis. Oh, dude! You know, like, come up with a with a you know, a whole host of I don't know demon or kind of enemy characters besides the main characters that are in there. Sure, they're yeah, good. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they did that. I don't. Again, a lot of these games, I think, when they do them, they're not very very good. Um, there's the Big Trouble.
0: Did you ever play the Big Trouble in Little China? Uh, you know what? I I, I <clears throat> looked at it. I watched it being played at Gen Con mm-hmm. um, the last time we were there. Actually. Uh, it was about to come out, yeah. and uh, I, I, I smelled what it was, and I was like, yeah. "Oh man!" Because such a great IP. Just a little more, just a little more work, yeah. and this could have been amazing. It's yeah. just, it's still not bad, right? It's not terrible. It's just not. It's just not great, and it could yeah. have
1: been great. Yeah, and there was a Dark Crystal one, yeah, which I love that IP too.
0: And well, I will say something. Cryptozoic is a company that has put out several Rick and Morty games. Yeah. I cannot speak to anything except Total Recall. But Total Recall is not only my favorite Rick and Morty episode. Mm -hmm. It's a great game. Um, Mm. uh, Matt talked about it, I think, a couple episodes ago when we were talking about underrated games. His number one underrated game was Rick and Morty Total Recall. Hmm. It is a social deduction game that is fun and anarchic and plays really well and may be the best licensed product of the last so many years and nobody knows about it. Wow. That's the problem. The problem is, is that when you go to the extra length and you right. come up with the good game, does it sell any better than the one that you didn't? Right. It's it's, it's an open question. Yeah. It's an open question. But we will see. Anyway, Scott Pilgrim coming out uh, November 15th. Uh, october 15th on kickstarter please check it out
1: yeah i think that one will crush i think they'll do really well with it there's a lot of scott pilgrim fans out there
0: oh yeah <clears throat> if you're gonna get me to buy a, a miniature game sight unseen uh you you've hit you've hit upon something really yeah uh next up uh we don't know anything about this except that we want to announce it uh cole Worley sent us a little little message here at the at the podcast saying hey Uh, I'm coming out with a game called Oath, Chronicles of Empire and Exile. Now, when there are five times as many words after the colon than before the colon, I sometimes question (laughs) how that game is going to be. But I will tell you what little I know about this. And this is Oath is a one to five player guide um, where, where one to five players guide the course of history in an ancient land. We take the, on the roles of agents bolstering the old order or a scheme to bring the kingdom to ruin, which sounds like maybe Hidden Traitor, something along those lines. The consequence of one game will ripple through uh, through those that follow, changing what resources and actions in the future, which tells me legacy. Uh, if players seize control by courting anarchy and distrust, uh, future players will have to contend with the land overrun by thieves and petty warlords. So uh, it sounds like a uh, a legacy game, uh, but he does make some little hints here where he says, you know, if there are no fancy production tricks, app-assisted mechanisms, or production gimmicks. The game can be reset at any time and doesn't require the same group uh, from one game to the next, hmm. which is really interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, on that shelf over there behind you, there is, uh, pan- uh, not Pandemic Legacy, uh, but is uh, um, Betrayal Legacy. Okay. Uh, Matt bought me that for my birthday, which was 10 months ago now. Yeah. Uh, never been cracked. (laughs) Wow. Never been opened. (laughs) And why? Because if you start playing a legacy game, you have to keep playing a legacy game, right? Right. You got to play it over and over and over again. And and when we've got, you know, we average seven to nine people at most of our game nights, right? right? How are you going to do that? How are you going to, you know, you have to basically pick a whole other night. Yeah. And have it be just that, and and run a campaign, kind of like running Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. which I am down for. But I guess part of me is 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 that if I'm going to do that, is it better to play a board game, or is it better to just play a great role playing game, which it, it, right. is kind of more fun?
1: Yeah, it's it's a commitment. I, I I did one, and and I have to say I wasn't I wasn't thrilled with it, and ate up a lot of my game night time. Which one did it you? It was the one with um. The pirate theme one, I can't remember the Seafall? name of it. Yeah, Seafall. Seafall. Yeah, Seafall was I I have not heard good things. Oh man, and it's like it's it's one of those games where, you know, I I, I fell behind mm-hmm. in the points, and there there really didn't seem like a, a strong mechanic to kind of catch up, mm-hmm. and so it was just like I know I'm losing this game for ten, eleven, twelve sessions. That's bad. And that, that and, is and, a, and the gameplay was really not that interesting. You know, I, 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 I love the idea of it. I think, I think there could be cool. And I heard great things about uh, Pandemic Legacy.
0: I have to. I uh, first season of Pandemic Legacy. I never played the second, but first okay. first season of Pandemic Legacy is wonderful. Mm. I mean, it tells a fantastic story, and the game is still mostly Pandemic, which itself is a fun game yeah. to to do repeat plays of which I think is, is what you should want. So to come up with a game, if Cole has really done what he's saying he's done, which is to come up with a game that's a legacy game but in which the same players do not need to play from time to time right? E- each time and that it changes the state of the game but doesn't require everyone to, be, to know everything that has happened before then, yeah. uh, that's a pretty great idea. And if he can pull it off... He might just have solved one of our main complaints and one of our main problems of getting legacy games to to our table. Mm -hmm. So, Cole, best of luck to you, man. Yeah, listen, we we like root, we love Pax Premier. So, uh, I I like John Company quite a bit. So, uh, bring it, Cole. We're we're here. We're waiting for you. Um, Next game is something really really interesting to me. Um, This is a game called The King's Dilemma. The King's Dilemma is an interactive narrative experience with legacy elements featuring branching storylines leading to many possible finales. Uh, what it is I'm gonna describe it to sure. you and then I'm gonna tell you where it where it comes from Because okay. I'm pretty sure I know where it came from. Okay. Uh, every player there are 12 player mats. And each one will be a house or a family that you're playing, and it will tell you a little bit about your family, and it will give you a few special goals that are goals for you. Then you will get a card, and you will get to choose, draft a, a card, and that's an agenda card. Am I going for incredible wealth? Am I looking for balance in the kingdom? Am I going for corruption, or this is not the other thing which will affect that. And each play, you'll start with packet zero. There are 74 packets of, car- of uh, little envelopes in the, in the box. Wow. You open the first one, and there are a bunch of cards in there. And you will go through the cards. And each time, the card will give you a choice. The king's dilemma is because these are all dilemmas, right? Mm. What do we do? We hear, there are these people coming to the kingdom. They're strangers. Um, they, have, they have weapons, but they claim that they're this. Are they infiltrators? Are they not? What do we do? Do we disarm them, or do we, or, or do we let them pass? Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. In one situation, like it, the wrong, situ- the wrong decision could be to let them pass because yes, they're spies and they're going to foment rebellion in your kingdom, right? Right. Or the wrong choice could be to disarm them because they are, you know, they're diplomats from a culture that is very different than ours, and now you've insulted them and you're you're leading our nation to the brink of war with somebody else, right? right. And all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and much like Choose Your Own Adventures, uh, uh, the decisions that you make will affect what card you go to next or sometimes even which next packet to open up. Uh-huh. But also, it is going to change the metrics of the kingdom. There is a board, central board that has uh, the country stability, uh, as, which is a, a, a lever that goes up and down um the country's wealth the country's science the country's like several different uh, a- attributes of the country which will be going up and down uh based on these decisions based on these things um so what i think this game is is did you ever play the app called rains no okay so there's this uh there, there's this game that was uh it's a swiper game so mm. you it, Really cheap graphics, really super easy. Basically, it's just a whole bunch of cards uh, that are that are in an iPhone app. Right, and it's you are a king and you want to let your reign extend as long as possible. Mm. Right, so the gesture comes to you and says that the the banking minister is corrupt. The banking minister comes to you. Do you swipe left and agree with what he wants? Or do you say you're either saying yes or no to every single decision? Yeah. And after you do, you see the metrics of your kingdom going up and down. And you can to some degree predict what they're going to be, but not entirely. Yeah. And what happens is invariably you get killed and the, or the king gets deposed or something happens and your reign is ended and then you start the next reign. And you're just constantly doing reigns of kings, seeing how far you can get and how long you can get. And when you play certain, when you make certain choices, you are adding new cards into the shuffle of your particular deck because you're unlocking adventures or little side things and all that sort of stuff. Um, that's basically what King's Dilemma is. And actually, there's a Reigns game. Uh, they're they're turning it into a board game that's coming out in 2020 by Bruno Faduti, who Ooh. is a good designer. Yeah,
1: I like Bruno. Uh,
0: I will say though that looking at that a little bit and looking at this, King's Dilemma looks more ambitious. Mm. It looks like a, it, it. If it works, yeah. And I just got to say that if it works, if because it works. these choose your own adventure things are they're, they're tricky beasts. Yeah. You know, you and I have both worked in in VR, and, yeah. and me more on the writing side. But I can tell you that that writing these things and having branching pathways that that all feel valid, that all feel interesting. And don't bl- blossom out and balloon out into a completely unwieldy mess, right? Yeah. That have that have ways of I'll say tricking you into thinking you have agency when, when in reality, we're leading you back to similar pathways right. uh, to some degree. Yeah. Uh, has to happen in these games. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I, it's one of those things that, uh, as a as a writer and as a VR writer, it's a kind of a game that I think I need to get. I think we need to to try out. But it certainly seems really kind of interesting. Mm. Uh, and last, before we get to the SN preview, uh Porte <laughs> has just come out. Uh, people are getting their deliveries right now. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is an older game from 2010. Did you ever? Did I you did. Ever? Yeah? I did. I enjoyed it. Tell me about it. Uh,
1: it's, it's a fact. I, it, I only played it, like, I think once or twice. Okay. Um, but it's basically like a fashion simulator from what, I remember you're your designer, and you know I don't even remember the particular mechanics if it was worker placement or I just remember like a kind of a very complicated it was a it was it was a lot to wrap my head around and I don't know if that was just more because it was a complicated game or just mm-hmm. because where I was in in my kind of <laughs> journey with euro games at that point. Well, it, um, it is
0: a worker placement, and uh, it's an economic game yeah. a lot. There's loans and accountants and and contracts and things like that, right? Yeah, yeah. pretty.
1: It's from what I remember it was pretty complicated. Um, I, I did enjoy it. I definitely didn't hate it when I played it. I thought the theme was interesting and unique um, for for a board game. And I, I always kind of had it in the back of my mind that I wanted to try it out again. So I'm curious to see this new version. Looks like the
0: the design of it and the art has been pretty upgraded. Yeah. With, with, with real designers, Mm -hmm. um, um, designing the clothes and things like that. Wow. Um, if, which sounds fantastic to me until you find out that no female designers, uh, were no female clothing designers were used in the game, which to me is like, Oh, come on guys. You're so close to being across the line. I mean, it's a great idea to use real designers and, and, and real, real art. I'll say modern art, has had number of uh, recent editions of mm. it that have used actual uh, famous painting series and things like that as yeah. the art for the game, which I think is it's the same thing as this. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. But <clears throat> you know, come on, guys. There, there are tons of amazing uh, uh, women designers out there that are you know that are burning up the clothing world. Uh, just just get. Somebody decent in there to do that. That would have been that would that would have really kicked it over the top. Uh, But Preda Porte is a very uh, well-regarded game from all the way back in 2010. I'm glad that it's out again. Sorry that there's this one little one little blip with it, but I'm looking forward to uh, to getting it back to the table. Mm -hmm. And now we get to the Essen preview. All right, so um, Essen is the if you do not know the Essen Spiel, which stands for Essen game, uh, is the biggest. Uh, game trade show in the world uh, by magnitudes of ten. It is enormous. Uh, a few years back, uh, Maddie, myself, and Trey uh, went, and we had quite an adventure there. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's it, it, the, the scale and the size of this place. It, it boggles the mind. Mm-hmm. I think. It started they would they would have like two huge airplane hangers full of things going on there. Uh but this fairground has I think ten hangars when it comes right down to it. Wow. The the fair now uh, encompasses all ten. So what's what's
1: the like how how much bigger is it
0: than like Gen Con? Um it is the the entire Gen Con dealer room. Right. Is one and a half of those hangers? Okay. Oh my gosh! Like wow. maybe two, maybe two hangers, two wow. hangers. And this is so it's like five nine X hangers. It's like it's like it's like it's at least four times the size of Gen wow. Con. That's amazing. And it's it's kind of interesting. So at Gen Con, um, you're mostly it is not a trade show, right? Right? It's mostly a consumer show, right? Yeah. And so you're going there, you're playing games out here, and you're signing up for this LARP or that RPG or that game. Then during your spare time, you come to the dealer hall and you walk around and you look and, and you you buy things. And there'll be playtest areas where you play test a game. And when you play test a game at Gen Con, uh, there's a person there to teach you and they teach you the game and you play one to two rounds. Yeah, And then boom, you got to go. We got the next group coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Essen does it very differently. Uh, there is no sign up. There are no games outside of the thing. It is just we are selling games for all these things. We are meeting with with... Uh, game uh, distributors Distributors, and all sorts of stuff and putting together deals and all that sort of stuff. But huge population shows up. I mean, huge, 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 massive crowds show up. So they do have huge areas where they have uh, playtest sessions for these games. Mm. What the Germans do, though, is they don't stop you at any point. Right. So you sit down for the game, you're going to play the whole darn game. And, you know, for Maddie and Trey and I, I don't know if we insulted anybody. I hope we didn't. But we would get to a point where, okay, I totally get this game. Thank you very much for showing it. And they're, they're looking like, what is he doing? Is he is he getting up from the table? What what are you doing? Do you need a curry vest? What is going on with you, sir? And we'd be like, no, I I get it. Look, I only have a limited amount of time here. We we flew here from 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 L.A. We want to play a bunch of different games. I
1: don't I don't you know. And I'm sure in the back of their mind, they're thinking, ah, they're, front, they're Americans.
0: They're probably, yes, prob- and- yes, yes, yes. <laughs> now Spitting I know at our feet behind up. us. <laughs> Just awful, so awful. But I will say that, that, that I'm entirely ascribing that to, mm-hmm. to them, because in reality, they were the kindest, nicest, gentlest, yeah. most enthusiastic people ever. There would be people that they have the are play testers the people that work in those booths and in those areas um, they are I my name is Hans and I am cleared to teach this game in German and Dutch mm. right and stuff like that I'm here and, I, and we, I have three English only speakers because we're Americans and we're trash <laughs> uh, and Hans will help us he'll be mm-hmm. like well I, my English is not very good but I will try and explain the game to you and his English is so darn good right <laughs> Yeah. Right, and he's able to able to do it. Uh, they're the sweetest people. Really, really awesome con. Kind of a tiring con, like mm. m- even more than GenCon. It, it's it's kind of exhausting because each day you're just sort of like yeah. gearing for war, getting in there and battling the the crowds and and trying to check out every little nook and cranny because there's so much to see there. Yeah, if you're if you're a Euro game fan from the, the US like like me, it, it
1: kind of films like it's like like that's the mecca, and it's like a pilgrimage to like make it to Essen, you know.
0: Totally, yeah. that's exactly what that's exactly what we felt it yeah. was like. Yeah. Um, I would say that that the Gen Con and cons like that are, are cons that I would love to go to every year. Yeah. Essence not something I want to go to every year, right? Yeah, but I would say that I am now. What is it? Uh, three years since uh, mm-hmm. since we we last went, yep. and now I'm starting to get the now I'm starting to be like, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe it's time to go back. Yeah, maybe like it's maybe time every to, like five years or so. Yeah, I, I think, think something something like that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So. Everything that is anything it comes out here. Now, we're in the Kickstarter model world now, so things are a little different. Um, things are released in different ways and on different schedules, but still uh, the vast majority of the great games that you're going to be seeing coming out over the next year are going to be demoing, are going to be sold, are going to be played here at Essen, and let's talk about just a couple of them. Vita Lacerda has a new game.
1: My favorite designer
0: on Mars. Man. He is doing a space theme, uh, following the success of unmanned rover missions. Uh, the United States, the, the United Nations, establishes the Department of Operations and Mars Exploration or Dome. The first settlers arrive on Mars in 2037 and establish Mars Base Camp. And as the chief astronaut of one of these enterprises that is working there. You want to be a pioneer in the development of the biggest most advanced colony on mars by both achieving the dome mission goals as well as your company's private agenda Mm. um i'm looking at i'm looking at pictures of it right now yeah it is looking yeah it it, looks amazing it looks pretty cool Mm -hmm. it looks really funky and and really interesting um look you know, you know, Elder and myself and, and Maddie well enough to know that this is probably an auto buy for us. That is, I don't need to know anything about it. I'm yep. pretty much just going to get it, right? Uh, but I will say that, that, uh, um, if I try to be objective, it looks absolutely gorgeous and seems really, really interesting. Yeah, uh, anything I might, I might have to just sit down and read the rules for this and just right, yeah. Right, don't
1: you think? In, in in anticipation, because I I mean I know I'm gonna be all over this game.
0: <laughs> it looks crazy good. It looks crazy good. Uh second game that is coming out is a game called Cooper Island. Mm. And this is by Andreas Odie Odenthal. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh Odie Odenthal uh made Lagrange, which uh, you oh, and I I'm lo- a fan of Lagranja. Love Lagrange. All right. Lagrange is one of those games we haven't really talked about it a lot on the podcast, but yeah. boy, oh boy. Talk about a game that uses cards in interesting we ways. We review La-
1: Lagrange, man.
0: We really do. Yeah. It's for it's sure. a it's a it's a kind of a it's a breakthrough design in a lot of ways, uh, in that it, there are components in the game that can be used a variety of different ways. And when you decide to use that component one way, it kind of locks in that. And those are some amazing really tough and really interesting choices and uh yeah so so we got to get that out there yeah but i will say that cooper island is getting some some buzz people have been saying some really great things about it uh there was a heavy cardboard uh playthrough of it that looks really really interesting yeah Uh, the idea being that we are colonists we are arriving on this uh big island and we are developing our own peninsula on that island um, lots of different ways to score. Lots of really tough decisions going on all the time, uh, and, and yeah, I don't know what else to say other than that. I mean, it, the theme isn't the most fascinating theme in the world, but the components look look great, yeah, and the gameplay looks dense and uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, it looks very meaty. Like it's
1: a, it's a it looks like it. I don't know how complicated it is, but there's a lot going on in the game totally it looks just very interesting like definitely definitely my kind of game looking forward to this one and even more so now that i know it's the designer of Lagrange. totally
0: totally um next one we have up we're going to do two more and then we'll get to the rest tomorrow uh this is i'm going to try and pronounce it correctly trismegistus mm. the ultimate formula that uh, this is the year of the oh, col- this is the year of the colons <laughs> right. Trismegistus colon the ultimate formula three times as many words after the colon as before uh, <laughs> it is a game by uh, Federico Pierre uh, Pierre uh, Pier Lorenzi oh. and Danielle Tash, uh, Tashini mm-hmm. do you know that any one of those names. Well, those are the, the mad Italians, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, they are. Daniel Ticini, in particular, um, he was one of the designers of Zolkin. Yeah. He was one of the desire designers of Voyages of Marco Polo. Mm-hmm. Uh, just amazing, amazing, amazing work. And this is a game where you are alchemists. And uh, you are going to draft exactly three dice. There's going to be a dice pool. And by choosing those dice, you're essentially gathering together alchemical ingredients and things along those lines. Uh, But you can also, uh, in addition to taking dice, you can also use the dice that you already have to exploit them or use them again. I'm not exactly sure what the mechanism is. I will say that there is also a heavy heavy cardboard that's been crushing it. They have a playthrough of this as well that I have uh, yet to see. Yeah, but do a good job. Yeah. But based on based on the 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 design of this thing, it looks it looks incredibly uh, complex and very very interesting. It it looks like um, your player board is sort of a shelf of alchemical ingredients, and you're adding things into the shelf. Yeah, and it looks like there is a uh, there sort of. Um, a path along that shelf mm-hmm. that is essentially going to be a chemical process where the thing on the upper left is going to pour into the thing in the beaker on the lower right and so on and so forth. And uh, I, I love when games uh, are able to deliver on that, where you're putting together a a process, right? right. Yeah. That looks pretty pretty awesome. Yeah, uh, and
1: I'm I'm actually not as excited about this one. It seems pretty abstract. I'll wait and see, but it seems pretty abstract.
0: Well, uh, I wasn't going to talk about the <laughs> about the other one by the Mad Italians, but maybe we should. Should we talk about Terramara?
1: That seems more like up my alley. I'm definitely more excited about that one. All
0: right, let's just let's just talk about that. That wasn't the fourth thing I was going to talk about today, yeah. but let's talk about it. So uh, Terramara is by. Uh, Achitoka, Flamina Brassini, Virginio Gigli, uh, Stefano Luperto, and Antonio Tinto. And uh, if you guys know these people, they have done Coimbra, they have done uh, so many of these amazing games that we have loved. Uh, and uh, Terramara is the name of villages that were founded around 1500 BC, mid to late Bronze Age in northern Italy. And basically we're going to be the chief of a clan of one of these villages up here. And our goal is to develop the clan, explore land farther away, trade with other villagers and reach sacred places. Uh, Elder, you took a look at this. What do you think?
1: Yeah. I mean, it just looks like there's, you know, from this group of designers, some, some interesting uh, combination of mechanics. Um, there's this pathway um, where you have these carts and depending on where that is, um, that, Allows you to to um, it's worker placement, mm-hmm. you place your workers on certain spaces. There's this mechanic where you flip the tiles over, and it has um, you know different actions on the other side. Um, there's also a you know another track at the beginning, so it just seems like a lot of cool stuff to manage. And then there's also this uh, mechanic where you you start off as a child in the game, and then at some point you make the decision you get to grow up and you flip the card over and then you
0: have different player powers. There's a bar mitzvah action? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. That's really, really great. It seems pretty interesting. Uh, listen, the, the, these if, if anybody has been hitting it out of the park each and every time, it's its this uh, Italian cabal of yeah. amazing designers. I have to try out each one of these things. Yeah. Now, you'll notice that I did not put dates, release dates or anything right. like that on these games. That's the problem with Essen is that you don't know. Some of these games will be released day and date pretty much. Some of these games you may not see for several months. You may not even see for a year sometimes. Even more. You're never sure. These games that we're highlighting, I believe, will be released in the United States fairly shortly thereafter. Look, all these designers have been racing, burning every bridge, doing everything they could do to make sure these games were ready for Essen. Yeah. Uh, Because that is where their business is. After that, their second goal is, can we get these things released in these markets before Christmas? And because Essen this year is at the end of October, uh, that only leaves them really one month to to ramp up their production and get it out to absolutely everybody. Yeah it's tough some of these people are going to be able to do it some of these people won't uh some of us may have to wait until 2020 with FOMO except for those few people that have somebody that they love that went to Essen and bought them something right which I don't currently have which is very sad I used to be that guy uh that's it for game news we'll we'll stop right there that's a lot of lot of game news we got uh let us move on to games on the brain Terror Mars, Forbidden Stars, Heaven and Ale, Great Western Trail, Too Many Bones, Game of Thrones, Order, Avalon, Crocodile, Blood Bowl, Time Stories, Scatterboys, Rolling Plains, Codenames, Rising Sun, Cash and Guns, Scripts and Scribes, Five Tribes, Web of Power, Keyflower, Mage Knife, Arkwright, Escape Plan, Wingspan. Games on the brain. Elder, what's going on in your brain right now? What, what, what is the game that you are, find yourself thinking about when you are doing other things? Uh, well, we actually just talked
1: about a couple of them though, the Mars and the, oh, the Terra um, but some other ones from um, my my GenCon shortlist that I never got a chance to play was Sierra West. I don't know if you played that one. No, I never played Sierra West. Yeah, so, can you tell me something
0: about it? Well, I,
1: I don't know a lot about it. There was uh, it, it, it again. It, it looks like there were some similar mechanics to Lagrange in a way where you have um, you're you're taking from this interesting tableau of cards. The way the cards are set up in some type of like pyramid fashion. So some of them you know, get released depending on when other ones are taken. And then I think you you put the cards around your board in a certain way and get certain, you know, actions depending on where you, you know, move your worker around to. Great. Right. So it looked like some, you know, I didn't get a chance to play it. I saw it on the table at Strategic Con. Didn't get a chance to play it, but definitely seemed like something, you know, I would like to try out. So Interesting. that's still, still on my brain. Cool. Um and there's this other game, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, uh, Manchukuo, I think, is this... Uh, hmm. Yeah, it's it's M-A-N-C-H-U-K-U-O, and it seems like it has this interesting... Manchu Kuo? Kuo? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Interesting. But it has this is mechanic. Chinese? Yeah. I okay, think, so, so think, Manchu will be uh, the, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a dynasty. Yeah, so I think there's this... Um, Uh, it's basically, you have a school, right? And you are, um, basically training your students and, um, you're, you're trying to keep, uh, out of the view of the government, right? So you're kind of training these students. What are you training them to do? I don't know. I don't know if it's like if it's martial arts. I guess
0: maybe a ninja that sort of thing. I mean, it's it's China, so yeah. not ninja, but
1: right. Yeah, I think it's like the,
0: like like martial
1: arts. Interesting, um, but it seems like there's some really cool uh, mechanics where you're trying to hide the students out, and and um, depending on um, you know what you do in the game, uh, you can only bring certain other students in because you need a certain amount of resources. Uh, it just looked like. Like really, kind
0: of interesting. So definitely want to check that one out. Totally, totally. Um, for me, on my brain right now is Nemo's War. Matt told us that he was going to get this game, Nemo's War, which was a one-player only game that was going to be what he would do during his ah. his long uh, his long winter, yes. as we're going to call it. <laughs> um, and uh, when I went over uh, to see him on. Tuesday and uh basically steal the games from him like our collections are virtually identical but there are some things that I have that he doesn't have and there are some things that he has that I don't have and since he's not gonna be using them I took them all yeah I just really like dude I'm really sorry but uh I'm just gonna take all these games um he showed me Nemo's War which was out on his table and I gotta say it looks really cool Mm. you are Nemo you're playing against, basically, uh, over the course of the game, more and more ships are popping up in all the different seas on the board, and they are antagonistic to you. Mm. So you have to deal with them somehow. You have to you know, destroy them to some degree. But the more you do, your notoriety will rise. And when your notoriety rises, the governments of the world are going to come after you, and, and your, your notoriety gets high enough, and it unlocks these really bad warships that are mm. going to come after you and try and get you. But... You as Nemo, you can play with several different agendas. I think there's six different agendas that you can play. And by playing with those agendas, basically it's an overlay that goes on the scoring board that tells you what scores points for you. And mm-hmm. it's like, so if your goal is pacifism or something along those lines, you get a 0x next to the sunk tonnage or, something, or 1x next to sunk tonnage because mm-hmm. you don't get a lot of points for sinking other right. ships, right? But exploration... You get x three times three, so three times the points from from that category. There's so many different ways to score points. Um, the artwork is gorgeous; it's really beautiful game. And I'm like, gosh, you know, if I ever don't have friends like Matt, that would be a really great <laughs> game to play. I have no idea when I would do that, right. but man, I, it, it's so good that I think we're probably gonna have to do a one person review of that. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll have uh, have Matty come back, and that'll be his. His little, uh, uh, when his head pops in, we'll do a little Nemo's War review. Yeah. But it looks pretty amazing. Uh, and then the other thing on my mind is King's Dilemma. I mean, you heard me talk about it for quite yeah. some quite some time. Um, I'm very intrigued by the concept of taking that uh, app called Reigns um, and turning that into a uh, board game. I, I think that it could be really, really cool. Uh, next up, we have the 8x8 challenge. And the update of the 8x8 challenge is woohoo! Yeah. Guess we what did we it. did? We played Concordia Nice. last night. We have knocked one out and playing Concordia. I'm like, how on earth since the beginning of our 8 by 8 challenge have yeah. we not even got it to the table once? It is such a good game. It is good. Which leads us right into our review. And our review is of Concordia. Let me give you the tale of the tape. Uh, Concordia is a game by a, a man named Mac Gertz. Concordia was released in 2013. The designer is Matt Gertz. The artist is Mariana Faffenbach, Matt Gertz, and Dominic Mayer. It is uh, currently 18th on Board Game Geek. Mm. And yeah, top 20, absolutely. No question about that. 2,000 years ago, the Roman Empire ruled the lands around the Mediterranean Sea, uh concordia is a peaceful strategy game of economic development in roman times for two to five players and instead of luck or dice we got to rely on cards and our own strategic abilities what does that mean that that means that listen there have been several uh, expansions that have been put out for this game so it has moved places you know there's uh salsa which is uh salt essentially comes into the game as a resource uh venus is one that allows six players and allows players to play in teams mm. we've we've played with both of the expansions i don't think either one of the expansions is mandatory i think yeah. that the the game itself uh, the base game is so strong i think once you've played it a ton and you'll want to play this game a ton uh i i think bringing out one of the expansions i think salsa i think the, the, the adding salt as an element is a good element mm-hmm. It's fun. It's interesting. Uh, But what is the game like? You have a map of the Mediterranean, essentially, or the Roman Empire, I suppose. It goes from Egypt in in the bottom right corner to Great Britain or the islands of England and so on and so forth in the upper left-hand corner. That's pretty much the extent of the map. Everybody starts with one army piece and one navy piece in Rome. And there are sea lanes and roads or, or land lanes that are laid out all over the map. And they connect all these different cities. And each city will randomly be flipped over, and each one of them produces one major good. The goods are uh, brick, which is the lowest, smallest, cheapest good, uh, food, which is represented by uh, a wheat bale, uh, tools, which is an anvil, uh, wine, which is a wine flask, and cloth. Those are the five goods, and each city produces one of those things as its main currency. Uh, You also have a hand of cards, and that hand of cards has, the cards are your action selection mechanism. This is not worker placement. You are not, I'm not putting a worker out on the board to say I would like to do this action. I am playing a card from my hand to choose the action that I'm playing. What really makes the game amazing is that this hand of cards is not just your action selection mechanism. It is also your scoring method. Can you talk about that for just a, just a minute? Tell, tell us how that kind of works. Yeah. So at the
1: the bottom of the cards um, are uh, there's like what six or so different scoring uh, mechanisms. I think six is right. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, you know, as you're you're building your, everybody starts, of course, with the same identical card deck, but there is a a, a great mechanism. kind of conveyor belt mechanism where you can buy more cards and you are um, doing those not just for the actions, but also you're kind of crafting your strategy as to what you want to focus on. Uh, to score more points
0: at the end of the game exactly right the cards at the top of the board um are better than the cards that you have in your deck they're not incredibly better but the uh, but they tend to improve a little bit um and the cards will say for instance there is uh architect and the architect action allows you to move your ship and your man out on the board. If you have two pieces on the board, you can move a total of two spaces. You can move ship two spaces, you can move your guy two spaces, or you can move a ship one and a guy one. Whatever you want to do, that's what you can do. And they do not occupy these cities. They occupy the, the routes in between the cities. So if I move my ship two spaces, and it is now on the route between a brick city and a food city, I now have the opportunity to build a settlement in one of these cities. And if I do, then I gain access to all those things in those cities. I would put a house in one of those cities. And each one of them has a different cost. Uh, The cost of almost every city is one brick plus the resource that that city produces, plus a certain amount of money. The money ranges from, uh, I think, one for brick cities, two for food, all the way up to five uh, bucks per cloth city the trick being if anyone else has a house already in that city you have to pay a multiple of that money cost so if i go to cloth city and i'm the first one there i pay one brick one cloth and five sestari. if i'm the second one there i play one brick one cloth and 10 sestari, which is a lot of money in this game A lot of money in this game. But by putting those things down there, I now have access to these goods because another card you can put down is the Prefect. And that is when you will go to a board that will show what the, for each region, there are regions in the game, and regions tend to involve two to three cities uh, of geographic proximity. You know, like Germania, uh, Egypt, Libya, Greece, Greece. All of these are, are separate areas. And when I flip that token over with the prefect action, I, I, I get a resource of every type that is in that region where I have a city. Plus, as a bonus for choosing that action, whatever the most expensive resource in that city is, I, in that region is, I get one of those as well. And I fill in my, I have a sort of, the, your board is essentially a storehouse of resources. By gaining those resources, that is going to give you the opportunity to go out and to make more cities, right? To, to put things in more cities, which is a very, very interesting mechanic. Yeah. Uh, there's also a, uh, the Mercator action, which is where you can sell some of the items that you have for money, and you can use your money to buy other items. So you're constantly trying to balance the resources that you have to exploit opportunities that are out there on the board to be able to get more and more things. And each one of these cards that you have is also going to score points at the end of the game for a different type of thing. Let's talk about some of those things. Mars is one of the things on the bottom of the card, and that is uh, you're going to score two points for every colonist you have on the board. For every ship and every person you have on the board, there's a maximum of six each person has. You're going to get two victory points for each. So if I have one Mars card and I have all six of my pieces out on the board at the end of the game, I'm getting 12 points. But if I purchased two more Mars cards over the course of the game, all of a sudden I'm getting 36 points. Mm. Uh, Another thing is there's a uh, one scoring condition which values having different types of good cities. Like how many different types of goods do your cities generate? And you can get one point each of those or two points each of those. And there are six of those. So there's another 12 points potentially. Uh, There's one that gives you one point per different territory that you're in. And then there are ones that give you points for having virtual monopolies. Like you get five points for every cloth city that you have. You get three points for every brick city that you have. Things along those lines. And what that ends up doing is it creates this amazing thing where none of us are playing exactly the same game. We're all going for slightly different things. We're competing on the same field, so we're constantly in competition with each other, but we are grabbing these cards over the course of the game. And early, the great thing about the game is that early in the game, I'm mostly looking at what the action is that I'm going to get that's going to allow me to do more things. Mm -hmm. But quickly and the more you play this game the more you're looking at what's on the bottom of the card what am i getting an extra scoring opportunity for oh it looks like the way my game is shaping up i think i'm going to be in a lot of different territories i'm really expanding out on the board very quickly so saturn which is the card that gives you points for being in the most different territories boy oh boy I can get a lot of these Saturn cards because not, people aren't focusing on those because those actions aren't the, the the best actions or the ones that people are really coveting right now. I'm just going to grab up as many of them as possible. I, I, I have a hard time thinking of a game that does that as well where the action mm. mechanism is also the scoring mechanism yeah. and balancing those two things is, is just delicious, right? Yeah, I, I love
1: like well-done multi-use card mechanics. Yeah, you know? um, absolutely. And 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 this game does it, you know, better than, than a lot of games that I that I can think of. Like, definitely one of the best. I mean, it's it's easy to see why it's a top twenty game on on BGG.
0: Absolutely, yeah. yeah and Matt Gertz is a, uh, a great designer. He designed Antica Imperial, which if you've ever played Imperial, a fantastic, fantastic game. Yeah. Um, Navigator, uh, Antica 2, the first person to put a 2 on one of, on a game as far as I've been able to determine. Right. And uh, recent game, Transatlantic, which plays a little bit like this. It's a little It's got a, a fairly strong Concordia aspect to it. Uh, I, I like Transatlantic. It's not quite as, as good, I don't think, as Concordia. But it's pretty amazing. One of the things I noticed playing this time is I think the teach is really quite simple. What do you think? Where would you put it in terms of is it is it light medium is it flat out medium?
1: I would say it's it's medium. There is a lot going on. Like there's no, it's not a complicated game mm-hmm. uh, to learn the rules of, but to kind of really wrap your head around and know how to play well. That's why I would kind of land it squarely in, in the medium. Like you you kind of have to know what you're doing.
0: In let me game. let me translate that though, because I think what that means is the teach is light medium. Yeah. But the gameplay is heavy medium. Yes. Which is kind of amazing, yeah. right? Yeah. This is this could be, the more I'm thinking about this game, is this could be an amazing gateway game because yeah. I can teach it in probably 20 minutes. Right. Right? I put the pieces on the board. Uh, you have a little card beside you that shows you this is how much it costs to build this type of city. This is how much it costs to build this. And then we go through our hand of cards. We start off with six or seven or eight cards. Yep. And I just say, this one you play if you want to do this. And here's how that works. This is the one you play if you want to do this. This is how that works. And in you know, 10-15 minutes, every concept of the game you have. And then you're gonna flail around and be like, oh no, wait, what, what? Oh wow. And I've seen it happen time and time again with people you're playing this game that have never played this game before. And especially with people that don't play this type of game very often, right. they're like, oh, I get it. Right. I should have been doing this all. That's why yeah. you guys were doing that. Right. While I was focusing on that, like I was focusing totally on the board, which is important, but oh boy, you guys have just opened my eyes to this whole other thing that's going on. And yeah. Yeah, so I'm kind of thinking, I'm kind of rethinking gateway games and what Mm. are what are games that I would recommend for people to enter the hobby. And I I tend to go more in the realm of Splendor and games like that, Mm. which is simpler. Listen, there's no question, Splendor is simpler. But I do think that this game is. Simple enough to explain that it's probably not going to scare away too many people, right. and boy, oh, boy, the, the, the riches and the wonders within it. Yeah. If you have a game brain. Like, if, if the person you're bringing has a game brain. Right. Which is... It's- and, and a particular type of game brain. Thought, like, I definitely... It was, you know, definitely
1: rewarding to play this game again. I, I, I checked my... um I started tracking my games again on The Geek, and, and it said I only... Um, had like eight plays of this game which i know i've I've played more i don't i'm not super consistent on on the tracking of my plays it seemed like you only played the game eight times (laughs) yeah i I played horribly (laughs) it was it was an awful game for me um but i learned a lot from it and i and i definitely you know there are certain games that work with my brain with my game brain sure this is not really one of them but i feel like i understand the game uh, a lot more now from the, the play last night and I definitely know like in terms of you know what you were speaking to just now about the the riches that are there right like yeah. if, if you know somebody has a game playing that might they may appreciate more medium games or medium heavy games uh-huh. right but they haven't really played them yet they haven't been exposed to yeah. then in terms of a gateway I totally see your point here right because this this is for for how deep the game actually is yeah uh it's easy to learn yeah and and if you're not if if the player is not going to be frustrated by that and they do have that kind of like aha moment like oh and and again like the 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 teach and the kind of table talk can really um kind of help somebody out like if you you know like again a couple of things that were There were talked about, and again, it's been so long, it's been years since I played the game too, Sure, but the importance of the things that really stood out to me last night were the importance of having a money engine, which I didn't, you know, I was the last player. So I had more money, which I felt good about at the start, um, but then I totally missed out on the cloth. Right. Yes. But I did. I was on a section of the map that had access to uh, wine, which I felt like I needed to exploit even more, even though I I made a pretty good amount of money from wine. Sure. Yeah. Um, But I also what really hurt me is um, my access to brick. I definitely needed to have more brick for building. And there was there was definitely a term where I bought an extra brick that hurt because brick
0: is a resource that you need for almost every single city right.
1: to build. And it, it really is a building game. Like it, it's an expansion game. Yes. You, you have to build cities to win either. either. I mean, I think the, in terms of breakdown and end game scoring, it's going to be between the number of regions or the number of cities. Those are like, I think you need to, to I mean, and those things go hand in hand, right? Exactly. Yeah. So um, yeah, definitely. I mean, anytime where, you're building and you're only building one instead of two is, is an, an, waste of action, right? Yeah. It's not an optimum turn. Um, You know, if you have to wait a whole round before you can build, then, then that's awful. And then also um, uh, being able to build more than twice. If you can build three times, uh, that could be even better,
0: which, yeah, which several of us did uh, a few times in the game, which uh, which is amazing. But also, what you don't see is you don't see how many actions did I have to take to, to set up a turn where I could do that, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's always a, a give and take, yep. especially in this game. Listen, uh, David won uh, the game last night with 129 yeah. points. I came in second with 124, yeah. so I was only five points behind him, and right. yet our, uh, our strategies could not have been more different. No he built on almost every single cloth city. Yep. So he is getting tons of money because that cloth is worth a ton when you sell it.
1: Yeah, he what uh, he got like 20 dollars
0: one 30 entire? 30 yeah, 30. 30 Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, was... I did not build a single cloth or wine city. So the two most powerful most expensive cities on the board, I didn't have a single one in the entire game. So I was playing a lean mean cash poor grab all the cheap stuff and try and win the game that way strategy. And we came within five, five points of each other at the, at the end of the game. So it's a game that is surprisingly resilient to a lot of different strategies. It really, really is. Yeah. Which also speaks to the the beauty of the design of the game is that there's not,
1: you know, so many games, you know, there's, there's these arguments about there's definitely an optimum strategy to win. And there's, there's a lot of different ways and it's, and it's so, um, Diverse depending on how the, the cards come out and the timing of like, you know, you see some cards come out and it's like, oh, those cards could be really good, but I really want to build. And, I and, you know, there's a constant race yeah. uh, to, you know, get to certain uh, territories um, and to build. And so there's a lot of, you know interactivity that goes on in the game and, and a lot of things to manage and it's you know it's
0: just, it's just beautiful design completely and let's say we played five players this game plays two to five yeah. we love here at game brain we love games that play five players yeah. and I will tell you it plays wonderfully well, at five players it does not feel too tight it does not feel too punitive it feels tough yeah it feels tough but it does not feel like it it's it, the game is bursting at the seams and at all yeah. it is really just a very very competitive space and the turns don't take that long for a file player game either well i mean jesse took a yeah, really long well, time well yeah there was some back and forth i, oh, I said i wasn't gonna pick up <laughs> <Yeah>. the, the <laughs> fact of matter is, is jesse was one of the fastest players this time yeah, yeah. uh david was even faster right. it was uh, uh yumi and andrew that were a little a little slow slowing the game down a little yeah. bit this time yeah listen when i bring up somebody Relatively new to the hobby, I have no idea what kind of game brain they have. I don't know if they have a game brain at all, right? right? A game that you can teach in 20 minutes and a person can get the game and play it. And gives them the chance of having that eureka moment, yep. right? I think is pretty ideal in terms of getting because if they don't and it doesn't click with them, right. boom, you know something, and they didn't waste a ton of their time because exactly. the game plays pretty quick, right? About ninety minutes, yeah. I would say, is is essentially how long this game uh, uh, takes on a regular basis yep. to play. Sometimes a little longer, sometimes a little shorter. Certainly, it's lower player counts, much much quicker. Right? It's it's a fantastic, fantastic game. There's a reason it's on our eight by eight challenge. Um, we highly recommend that if you have never played Concordia, you guys should go out and you should try out Concordia because it is absolutely amazing. I think that's it. Any uh, any last words you want to say about uh, Concordia before we put her to bed?
1: Um, I think he kind of psyched me out a little bit with the, I don't know if that was intentional, Uh-oh. with the, the pre- Prefect Maximus.
0: No, I didn't. I thought you were. I thought you were gaming me. Okay. No. No. So there is a. There, so, so there is a card. The whoever starts off as the last player has this card that allows the action that allows you to gain resources from the provinces. Uh, allows you to double gain. You know the the bonus resource. You get to take it twice. Yeah. And I saw that, that Elder went through his entire first turn without ever playing the prefect action that activates that superpower that he has sitting right in front of him. And I was like, oh, the professor is playing something. I've never seen this before, but the professor has got a system here. Uh-oh. He's going he's gonna to take me to school. He's going to crush us. because by not playing, Because the moment you use that power, it passes to the person to your right. So it goes counterclockwise to the direction of play. Um, and generally, it it passes fairly liberally because people yeah. want to take that action and get that and get that bonus. But Elder was just sitting on it and sitting on it. And I was not psyching you out at all. Yeah. I was literally thinking, Elder knows something about this game that I don't know because I've never seen this happen. And and this is going to be really really bad. Yeah. No. When you when you said it and. The position i was in it seemed
1: like a good idea and then, <laughs> and then i realized it really wasn't i think it really kind of messed up my tempo a little bit i don't know if it would have saved my game to play it like at that moment um i needed to to do some other things but um but that was an an interesting aspect of the game last night as well
0: well i apologize elder listen you know me. If yeah. I'm if I'm if I a you, I'm gonna yeah. cop to it. I'm gonna shatter from the right. from the hilltops. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. did not metagame you in that. I had no idea that it was uh, it was messing with you. I yeah. literally thought that you knew something I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, folks, that's Concordia. Check it out when you get an opportunity. Couldn't couldn't recommend it more. It really, really is fantastic. And now we're gonna move on to our group member specific segment. We're gonna talk old school. Old school with the professor and the game master. Elder, what do you want to what what do you, you want to take us? What what part of your memory lane do you want to drive us down?
1: Well, I've been thinking a lot about this because um,
0: you know, in my my first episode, I definitely
1: kind of gave my uh board game biography, which I think is a really kind of interesting thing to do being, you know, uh game brains as much as as we are. Um, and I I'm actually thinking I'd like to to go ahead and and write it out at some point. Um, you know, just write a couple of pages about my kind of history through through gaming because they have played a really important game in my life. So I don't want to kind of repeat too much. So I started thinking sure. about well, what are, what are the other different kind of aspects of games that I didn't speak about before that I think are still really important? And um, you know, I think the the first thing that I know I didn't I, I'm pretty sure I didn't mention before is a little game. Uh, well, first I got to say. Um, I had a bunch of board games, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was younger, but I didn't really play them a lot with, in my family, we didn't really play board games with, like, my mom and dad Um, and with friends. Uh, I think a lot of my early gaming was Atari. Oh, yeah. Uh, Like, you know, I got an Atari 2600 when I was, you know, when they first came out, I guess I was... uh, Was
0: that the second system? Uh, I think it was the first one. That was the first generation. Okay, so yeah. it was the fifty two hundred was the second system. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I got the twenty six hundred. How um, many? How many joysticks did you go through?
1: I went through about eight or nine. Yeah, same here. Yeah, yeah just <laughs> I remember taking them apart and seeing a little plastic break, and you know, my cousins finally got one around the corner, but I was like the first kid on my block. Nice. That had a TV in my room and and that, uh, the Atari in and, your room, yeah, in my in my room, Dude. my Atari, and I, you know, I played the heck, and I used to actually take it when I went to go stay with my grandparents. I would take it um, up there. Um, my favorite games were like. Um, well, you know, bowling was like the first game. Sure, and sure. And combat. So I played a lot of Dude, that. combat still holds up. Combat, combat is an amazing game. So just as a quick aside, I was at IndieCade, which is this independent sure, yeah. video game thing that happens here. And these guys came up with this game. Um, uh, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, but very similar to combat in the Unreal Engine, but with little balls that roll around and you can do different loadouts. And I was like, this looks like combat, kind of. You guys should go back and kind of check that out maybe a little bit. Just the even the way the maps were set up. Oh, big time. And I was like, wow, like that, there there was, like, remember there was all those different modes. It's Dude, like kind of
0: coming back to me now I would- too. You would you would have the tank game yeah. where sometimes the tanks the the shots from the tanks would rebound once or twice yeah. before they stop. Yep, little ricochet uh, action. There was the game with the biplanes where yeah. you had machine guns, so they would be firing constantly. You would just be making all these circles yeah. and circles, and then you'd try the circle the other way to catch yeah. up to the other guy. Yeah. Oh my god, it was so good. The the jet fighter one. I mean, there there was they had every game in there. It was yeah. amazing. And what was
1: a six bit or eight bit or whatever? For, I mean, whatever yeah. it was, it yeah. was. Uh, definitely a special time, and also indicate I actually saw a little book called the Atari Age that kind of uh, detailed the history of those those games, and and I, um, you know, I still get excited when I see that box art.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, because yeah. it
1: was so like again compared to the graphics that was on the game. <laughs> you know, it's like it's 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 kind of amazing thing to to kind of think about. But I I was so enamored, I was so into these games. I actually like uh, hung like in a for some reason a form of a pyramid i took like i saved all my boxes and i hung them up on my wall and i would just stare at the art on those boxes I well mean, the art
0: was amazing was they, they even made they even made like an atari comic book that was just yeah. they, they would just to sell atari products and i remember yeah. i i remember panels of that comic book like i remember frank miller's dark knight mm. like i like, like, like iconic etched in your brain yeah totally yeah dude yeah uh but yar's revenge
1: um, probably my favorite game, not probably, but definitely the, you know, the Activision games are great pitfall, but star master, you ever play star master, which
0: one star master star master
1: was the first and maybe the only game that I can remember where, um, you actually use the console as, as a, um, part of the, the UX, right? You would flick, flick one of, you the, would switches. Flick one of the switches and you would go, it would basically take you to a star map, right? And you would see all your kind of uh star bases right, and <gasps> and then I'm having a memory, yeah, and then um you know one would start flashing, and it would be that one's under attack, so then you would have to warp to that and then defend that star base against intruders <sighs> I
0: remember this, so
1: game. it had kind of like a like a you know like a map feel to it. Yeah 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 yeah. And it was so much fun cuz it really again as far as user experience with those really crude graphics I really felt like I was defending, you know, my star bases, you know, and had <laughs> had different levels to make it more difficult. Um, it was it was a great game. I played that game for hours.
0: Do you remember the game where it was like an adventure game? It was kind of like it, it was somewhere in between Zork and and Ultima where you were where you were just this little dot. Yeah, adventure. Were, yeah, adventure. adventure. Adventure, yeah. of course, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. I will say this. It kind of dovetails to what I was talking about when we were talking about miniature games. Mm. Like like for me, all I need is the little wooden cube because yeah. I used to play Atari. Yep. And when I would play adventure, that one pixel that <laughs> that that four-pixel dot mm-hmm. that was me was every bit as real and mm-hmm. as heroic as the most uh, uh, gaudy fantasy art. You know, yeah. spread of a paladin you've ever you've ever seen. It was everything because my mind did everything that it, that it needed to do, Yeah. right? Yeah. And that was that. Then that was Star Star Crash, uh, Star, Master. Star, Star Master, Star Master, Star Master. That was Activision. that was Star Master. I remember yeah. that
1: game? Yep. And oh. the cartridges popping that cartridge and the, oh. the console. Oh,
0: about. such a good feeling. Yeah, man. And there were so many. There were so many worlds. I mean, it was. It had so much going on, and this was. In a time when you know it was basically pre-PC, yeah, right, and that was it. That's all. That's all there was. I mean, there was ColecoVision, which came before it, which was just they just had a. It came with a pistol or a rifle. Mm. You'd shoot. You'd do duck hunt basically, and you'd play Pong. Those were the only two things they had. Yeah, I will tell you something. In Japan, I spent it must have been ten dollars. On a game at a Japanese arcade, which are insane mm. things they have there. But it was on a, uh, how would I put it? An analog Pong game. Mm-hmm. It was, it's a table. Oh, wow. That you sit down at. And I have a spinner thing. And the spinner thing spins a four by four right. cube thing that's about the size of a hot dog mm-hmm. that is my paddle. And there is a little dot little square that when the game starts moving it moves exactly like it moved in pong but it's literally physically moving and i'm physically turning a thing to block it and it is exactly pong but with something that is a physical entity before me i can't i can't begin to tell you how much joy I got out of that experience, and I also cannot begin to tell you why. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. why it was so fascinating to me, but it was it was almost like something from from my youth was was suddenly materialized in a transporter, and you know, mm. it's like Galaxy Quest, right? You, yeah, where it, it, it's the my fantasy is made real somehow. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know,
1: dude. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was really my my early game, like what I spent most of my time on. So it wasn't until like. High school that I got into like tabletop games, which is a you know, whole conversation. Um, but the the other kind of board game was um, a game that we played a lot of was crossbows and catapults. You ever played that
0: game? Oh, Milton Bradley! Holy yeah. cow! Mm-hmm. Wow, that was that was that. Uh, I remember it had a lot of moving parts and stuff like that, right? And it was siege. It was the siege.
1: Yeah, it was siege. Yeah, you had there, there was these little discs. And you had a little crossbow with a rubber band and a little little catapult, and you were basically trying to, um, you know, had some different rules that you can kind of decide which rules you wanted to play with, mm-hmm. um, but you were basically trying to get your tokens onto the other persons and uh, to your opponents and break down their 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 kingdom and get to their treasure. I think was like the main goal of the game, but um, I had this cool map that you can lay out. You know on the floor, well, actually no, that was a different game is that, that, that,
0: had, that had the map. there was a similar game that we played also. I remember that, and I remember broadsides and boarding parties or oh yeah one of those that was like a sort of ship theme one, but right. it was not that dissimilar yeah dude those were those were the expensive games too right yeah. those were the ones that those were like oh who one person in our neighborhood has that yeah. who is the one who has it yeah, elder has it <laughs> that's awesome, <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, your mom, your mom knew what your mom knew where your where your heart was, right? Yeah, yeah. I, you know,
1: I definitely had support with with my games. You know, between my my parents and my it was actually my my grandma who used to buy me the uh, the Atari cartridges. Dude, uh, yeah,
0: she was your first dealer. I was pretty spoiled when I was a kid. That's awesome, though. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah, it's a good way to be spoiled. I think I love it. Um, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to talk memory lane for sure. just a quick second. This is when I first realized that I could, could actually design games, like where I could actually not just play something but actually create something. In high school, uh, my friends Jim Fitzgerald, who you've met, who we play games with all the time, and Andrew Ryer, who we just played, game, we played Concordia with last night, mm-hmm. we all went to Christian Brothers Academy, which was a Catholic all-boys high school in central New Jersey, southern New Jersey, sort of freehold area, Bruce Springsteen territory. Uh, we have to wear a tie and jacket every single day. And, uh, we were just like, um, I'm involved in, in the scouts. I was involved in the scouts when I was a kid yeah. and now I'm, my son's about to get Eagle Scout and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff, which I'm pretty excited about, yeah. but I'm uh, a Scoutmaster And, uh, when I talk to the parents, I tell them like, look, I grew up in this really interesting town called Serval, New Jersey, and you can draw a 30 mile circle around Serval. And the most amazing thing is nothing fun ever happened within that circle. <laughs> <laughs> So scouts and other things were ways I could get out and actually do something fun. Uh, We were battling boredom a lot in New Jersey. There was a lot of that going on. And there was this movie that came out in 1980 called Midnight Madness. Mm. It's this weird movie set in Los Angeles about Uh. a group of, it's like a college competition where there is a game master who's basically putting together an all-night scavenger hunt. Mm Mm-hmm. And the colleges have like the, the white team and the red team and the yellow team and the blue team. And each one of them have four members. I think uh, David Naughton, who, who he was the star of it, who was uh, the star of American Werewolf in London.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yep. Michael J. Fox's first role. He was a little kid. Oh, wow. little kid in that. It was when you think scavenger hunt, you generally think you get a list of things and you got to go find these impossible things to find. This wasn't that. This was a riddle. Mm. And you have to figure out what the riddle is and the riddle will take you to the next place and there you'll get your next riddle. And sometimes there's something you have to do there in order to get the next riddle and so on and so forth. And it just kind of captured our imagination. And, you know, in the mid to late 80s, uh, we were just kind of fascinated by it. And then God bless him. Jim Fitzgerald just said, I'm going to make a scavenger hunt like there was in this thing. And he put, we were all like, okay, whatever. Put the whole thing together, invited us all over. We had you know, just got our driver's licenses. We were absolute maniacs. We came. There were like four or five different cars. And each one of them had a team of like three or four people in that car. And we would go on the scavenger hunt. And it was all over Monmouth County, New Jersey, which is a very, very large county. We would go from Freehold to the end of Sandy Hook, which was – I can't even – I can't even tell you how many miles. It was basically from dawn to dusk, 12 hours of driving like maniacs, going crazy, trying to figure out these puzzles. There would be things like, there would be a clue that was at a railway crossing, and the clue is on the top of the arm that comes down across the road. (laughs) For the railway thing, right. so you're staring at it, and it's it's 17 feet up in the air, and it's written really small. You're you're trying to you know using binoculars. You're trying to there's no right. way you can. You have to wait for the next train. So you're looking for the train schedule. When's the next train gonna come? We're we we have a lead of maybe five minutes on the next group. Are they gonna catch up before the train comes and we right. can get that next clue? And um, Sandy Hook has these old uh, military bunkers from World War II or something along those lines. I don't know when. Oh. There were clues in that, and over the years, we would do this once or twice a year, every single year. This group, and it just kind of expanded. Mm. The winner of the previous year does the next year's one. Uh, I think uh, we won the first year, so I got to do the the second. Andrew and I got to plan the second year one, and we ended up doing it in all kinds of places. We did it in several different counties of New Jersey. We did it in Manhattan one year. Mm which was absolutely amazing. Uh, The one clue from that one uh, was about King Kong. Mm -hmm. So we're on the top of the Empire State Building. Uh, Looking around for the clue. We can't find it anywhere. We call in for a hint. And they say uh, there was another King Kong movie. They met the, they met the 1980s King Kong uh, movie. So you had to go to the Twin Towers. We had to go to the Twin Towers uh, <laughs> to get on the top of that. Wow. We even ran one in Los Angeles, which mm. was fascinating. Uh, coming up with a good clue and a good location yeah. is absolutely fantastic. It's a, uh, we had one clue at the Camera Obscura. in in Santa Monica. If you don't know what a camera obscura is, it's this sort of really old uh, technology where you have a super dark room and you have a light that shines in from outside. And what it does is on a dark white wall, it projects the image of what is outside. Mm. Sort of early photography technology is essentially what it was. This camera obscura is on a turret, so you can actually turn a wheel and uh, have it line up in a particular way. And so the clue would send you here. First, you had to figure out where this place was. Almost nobody knows this thing exists. Right. You get there and you turn it to you know, 210 degrees. And then you look at the image on the camera obscura. And what it's pointing at That's is where your you next clue is. Yeah. So you go down there. It's right? very cool. Oh, it was awesome. We had uh, they had to rent uh, kayaks uh, in Marina del Rey and paddle out into the middle of the channel to a buoy where the next clue was 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 hidden. Uh, we had them racing over the the canals in Venice over all the the bridges mm. in Venice looking for the for the right symbol on the right bridge yep. in order to do that. And it's just one of those things that I can't even begin to tell you. I got pulled over for speeding on one of these uh, one of these scavenger hunts, yeah. and right before I had done that, uh, one of the items that we had to get was a live goose. <laughs> I was the only one who got the live goose, but I had it in my trunk, and <laughs> as I braked for the police officer to pull me over. Really? The goose in the trunk started going crazy. Oh, <laughs> so wow. can- and at, at, I'm looking in the rearview mirror as the police officer is getting out of his car here. Oh God, we're in big trouble now because we stole this. We totally stole this goose. We, right. we, do, we do not. We don't have paper. We, there's no way. Yeah. Whack, 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 whack. Cops ten feet away. Whack, 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 whack. Cops five feet away it shut up the second the cop was beside the car he wow. didn't hear a thing and the whole time i'm just how quickly can i perform this transaction do you guys know what you yes we were speeding <laughs> do you have your here's your driver's license here's my driver's license information there you go sorry sir super sorry we're we're in a rush we shouldn't have sped we will not speed again thank you sir uh, sure enough got out of there and the, and the darn thing didn't make another quack and we you know we returned it to its to its place that night and had a great adventure we fed it carrots and <laughs> no it wasn't carrots Well, was it, it was seed whatever yeah. uh, bread some of my my favorite memories are of this thing that we just all decided to do we just sort of created our own fun and created our own game and uh when we were talking about old school as a theme it's something that kind of came to me that this is uh this is something that we do we sort of create our own fun when, when we design larps we we're, yeah. we're designing fun for other people and it's kind of like the scavenger hunt which is something it's done once it's mm-hmm. never done again you spend a month putting it together one time and and it's over and yet some of the most satisfying uh, memories of gaming in my life are these beautiful amazing exciting little one-offs that somebody just poured their heart and soul in and all their creativity and came up with something and i think oh man uh, when when gaming really is when it's hitting a tuning fork for me, it's usually hitting a tuning fork for that reason because I'm seeing a person shine, yeah, and I see that at board games all the time, just in a different in a different way. but i I really love I love seeing a person's uh, personality shine through. um last night, Jesse was in rare form, mm. like he was he <laughs> was just. Picking on me and and you and David like relentlessly, but in a great way. Yeah. Like like he it was, was basically like, you guys give me a lot of heck on the podcast, and then he just started dishing out just as good as he had been taking all this time. And I was just like, dude, that's Jesse, man. That's Jesse. He's like this awesome. He's just this. He's just this awesome guy that that is the brunt of jokes, but is always there, ready to just come right back at you and 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 give as good as he gets. And he does it with a smile. He's just got this like just great spirit. Uh, I Absolutely love that. I think that's I think that's about it. I think we want to move on to just a, a couple uh, game sommelier items uh, sure. before we do. So let's hit game sommelier. Sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay. Which game should go? Which to play with Mama, Madame, Abou? you gotta tell me, monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far. With my fiftieth play of Agricola. A million games, show me the way to the master, the game Somalier. Yeah. slow jam in there <laughs> elder I, I should have said i should have said thank you i do want to say thank you um you and i've known each other a long time but yeah. i love hearing these stories about about how you grew up and like the things that you love when you're little it's just it makes me feel closer to you it makes me feel like I, I i grok you even better than i already do and it's just a fantastic thing and i'm so glad you got you're on the podcast
1: yeah i feel the same way man thank you
0: dude that's awesome <laughs> all right uh, the first game sommelier is from casey Uh, my wife and I play games just the two of us and with others we have games of both seasons of pandemic legacy going right now her favorite game is castles of burgundy mine is race for the galaxy I like castles of burgundy more than she likes race but we like them both we also enjoy I also enjoy solo gaming any ideas for a solidly mid-weight maybe slightly mid-heavy game for us thanks what you got elder what do you think
1: um, I was thinking about um a couple of Oui uh, games. So you know, Glass Road is one of my favorite games. Sure, sure, sure. And um that has um, uh, that and uh, we just played uh, a couple weeks ago. Aura labora, which is my other favorite. No, Aura labora is like a, that's that's a little heavier than it's,
0: than it's a little
1: heavier, right. right? But both games have um, uh, good solo games.
0: Yeah. and And glass road is glass road is very grokkable very easily right yes yes well i don't know about that okay all right well Uh, the teach is easier
1: the yeah it's some people have a hard time getting their head around the wheel but once you once you do that um you know i think it's it's well worth it it's a fantastic game and a very interesting two-player game glass road is is it yeah, there's it plays differently than it plays with three or four.
0: I'm so glad you're here because you and Matt know very well what plays well on two player. I almost never play two player. Like mm-hmm. the only person I play two player with is my son, and we'll we'll play Twilight Struggle and Star Wars Rebellion, and th- those are you know or Fields of Arl. Those yeah. are kind of our things. So we we tend to play things that are almost entirely dedicated to being just two player. Yeah, yeah. If you can get into Glass Road, if you if you you know again like that the the wheel
1: mechanic and you know, it's enjoyable to you. That's a that's a really fun two player game. Um also I was uh thinking of these are not good two player or solo games, but um as far as like the weight. Sure. Um <clears throat> Village. Yes. I think it's interesting. Stone Age. Inca brand, the brand. Classic. Yeah, okay. uh, Puerto Rico might be a little bit on the heavier side,
0: but it's a it's a surprisingly tough teach. Yeah. But yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I mean yeah. that
1: was my gateway kind of um yeah after settler's euro game sure but i like the heavier games
0: and let's realize we're concordia we just talked about today yeah. how how light medium it is to teach right. and yet how heavy medium it is to play it yeah. might just be a great game for for them
1: yeah i think it depends on the teacher like how you explain puerto rico could could make a big difference amen ray
0: sure classic. sure sure classic reiner knizia
1: yep um and architects which i've been playing a lot of architects of the west kingdom
0: sure yeah i i don't really think of architects too often but i should because it's 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 right down the alley of this yeah. a worker placement game in which there is no collect your workers phase is naturally going to be something that's fairly easy to teach yeah um yeah um, in addition to concordia i would say uh, five tribes Mm-hmm. is a really good brain burnery game that's pretty easy to understand and uh, and and good to play a little cultural appropriation issue with the game but if uh, if you can overlook that well worth it and then there was a game called Hawaii that kind of uh slipped under the radar but is a really good medium weight game that's uh it's kind of really well designed that there's you know there's five different things you could be doing to earn points in the game and and your little Polynesian group can uh, really sing by choosing which of these things to focus on. It's it's really fun. Okay, let's do another one. Let's see, Ralph said, Hello! Just finished the Backlog podcast, and I'm becoming a fan of you folks. Thanks, Ralph. Uh, I was wondering if anyone in the group brings games on trips. I'll occasionally bring games to play with my wife and people we are traveling with. We recently traveled to Chicago and played a lot of Love Letter, High Society, Guillotine, which wasn't great, and regular cards for Euchre. Hive Pocket also works when it's just me. Hive Pocket, I should say, also works when it's just me and the missus. Any other ones you think would be great to take on a plane or to a travel destination? Boy, oh boy. I can just tell you that uh, anytime I'm traveling anywhere, I have... Basically, uh, what I do is I keep expansion boxes for games that I no longer need to store anything in the expansion box. Mm And I will put as many games as I can into that one expansion box and carry it around with me in my in my luggage. I don't mind if it gets banged around because it's not that big a thing. But oh my goodness! So uh, Teach you I think, is you know just a deck of cards, but one of the greatest four, four player team games you've you've ever played. Uh, I totally agree with Love Letter. I love High Society. Uh, for Sale uh, mm-hmm. is another one that's in that thing. Uh, I will tell you, Race for the Galaxy packs down really. Compactly for for the game that it is, it's got a lot of play value for a very small space. Uh, Arboretum, if you've never played Arboretum, mm. very cutthroat, uh, card game that plays really well. Uh, Codenames for you could play that with groups. I mean, I always bring that when you know when we're dealing with non gamers and things like that, they they will light up when they learn how to play Codenames. Um uh, Avalon, if we have a larger group, packs into nothing. Uh, Cockroach Poker is yeah. another game that I absolutely love to play. And then as far as games that actually have a little bit of a board, uh, there's a game called The Bloody Inn, which I quite enjoy. It's a it's a, a gruesome, macabre game that actually plays pretty darn well. It's uh, based on a, a real innkeeper and his wife during the 17th century, 18th century that decided that it was much more profitable to rob the people in their inn and bury them. Wow! Uh, and but the thing is that some of the people checking into your inn are the constabulary. So you know, it's d- did I get this body out of sight before the constabulary came, and right. do I risk it and all that sort of stuff? It's it's surprisingly fun. Mm. And uh, last but not least, Hansa Titanica has yep. a board. It is a full board game thing, but it has so few components. Mm-hmm. That it actually is basically, in, you know what flat pack is, right? Yeah. yeah, it's basically a flat pack game. Yeah. So uh, if you want to have like a real full on game, Hanzo Titanica packs down to nothing. Mm. What do you think?
1: Uh, for me, um, travel games, uh, especially for two players, and I was trying to, to to stay on like what you could play on the plane or in an airport, like, um, yeah, like an airport. So uh, Diamat. Um,
0: sure, Gaymount yeah, is great.
1: Yeah. Uh, more for the travel than, than the confined space, but cheeky monkey is surprisingly like fun gameplay. It doesn't take a lot of space <laughs> and like I actually have I have the
0: I've never played cheeky monkey.
1: Really? No, never. Uh, Reiner Kinesia, classic game. it's fun, pressure luck. Um, I actually have the, the version that is actually in the, the game components are inside of a stuffed monkey. And that acts as the, <laughs> as the game. So it's like, you know. Is that I, real? Yeah, it's a real thing. Um, uh, so, you know, again, I know some people like to, to take stuffed animals on the airplane with them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. some some dual purpose there. Uh, definitely recommend that. And then for two players, a uh, small place, um, uh, Lost Cities, I think is great.
0: Lost Cities is fantastic. Yeah. I should have been on my list, too. I mean, talk about you don't even need to bring that board. You just bring that right. deck of cards, and that's all you need. Yeah. It plays wonderfully. Yep. Totally agree, no. Elder. I think we did it. Yep. I think we crushed. It. I think we helped some people today. I think yeah. we turned people on to Concordia, and uh, maybe, maybe just maybe, people got to know us a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I think that's about it, people. We are, uh, we are game brain. We are here. Please, please, please uh, send us more Game Somalia requests. We actually have a, a somewhat of a backlog, but we, we need more. We just uh, constantly need those. If there's anything that's on your mind, a, a question that you want people to rec- point you toward the right game or uh, the right idea, uh, please do let us know. You've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You might know him as Alfred on the show. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can reach us by email at Matthew at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening and go play some games with friends or go make some friends with games.